You're listening to the Salty Sex Cast with Mariah and friends. Minimize the fear. Expand your awareness. Hello and welcome back to the Salty Sex Cast. It is your host, Mariah, and I have a new friend. I'm so excited to introduce you all to Um, But before I get in, I just want to say a huge thank you for all of you being brave enough to listen, to find out what this is about and explore your own sexual wellness and sexual health and um, a podcast form. So I am a nationally board certified health and wellness coach and a certified health education specialist. And I have been on a journey of just finding better, more positive ways to talk about sex and sexuality and create just healthy, easy conversations around that. So welcome everyone. And then um, to my guest, thank you, Zoe, for being on here. I have Zoe Kors, um, who's an author, and I'm so excited for her to tell us about herself. Um, So please tell me, tell us all, you know, what got you into this and who you are. Thanks, Mariah. It's such a great opportunity to be here with you today. Um, I am a sex and in and intimacy coach. I am based in Los Angeles, although I coach clients all over the world um, through Zoom, which I was doing long before the uh, the pandemic hit. So um, I also wrote a book recently called Radical Intimacy, Cultivate the Deeply Connected Relationships You Desire and Deserve. I am the resident sex and intimacy coach for a sexual wellness app called Coral, and I have a thriving private practice, and I also offer my services through Center for Relational Healing in Los Angeles, um, which specializes, it's a group of therapists that specialize in sex addiction and um, betrayal trauma. So my role on that team is to help couples who have healed are no longer in relational crisis um, and who are ready to reintegrate healthy sexuality. So that's That's me. Exciting. (laughs) Ah, I'm so excited to get to know you more and hear about your book and, and the topics that you've dedicated a lot of time, space, and energy around to share with others. Yeah. Um, I would love to just, you know, origin story. How did you get started in this field? You know, what made sex and sexuality be one of those things uh, that you explored? Yeah, well, I think that um, in my life, and I talk about this in chapter one of the book, um, I had a 10-year sexless marriage in my 20s. So, and it was it was me who was uninterested in having sex with my husband at the time. Um, so I had very little information. I didn't really understand what for the first time in my life, I was really sexually shut down. Um, I, there was no one really to talk to about it. I talked to my gynecologist. She ran the blood tests that I wanted her to run. Um, but she was fairly certain that I was healthy and that there was nothing, um, physically wrong with me. And she was right. Um, and I went to see a therapist and talked to him about, um, you know, my marriage, what was happening with me. And he was perfectly willing, wonderful therapist, very able to talk to me about the relationship outside of the bedroom, but there was no one really who could help me understand 
what was happening um, with my sex drive. We ended up, um, we share a daughter and we're very good friends now, uh, you know, like brother and sister. Um, and my daughter is fabulous. Um, but we, um, we ended the marriage and it kind of set me on a lifelong path of, um, you know, like a mission to understand the nature of sexuality and intimacy and connection to ourselves and others. So, um, it wasn't until decades later that I ended up, uh, pursuing this professionally. And, um, it was sort of, I was working, I have a previous professional incarnation as an art director and graphic designer. Um, and then I sort of moved into editorial work. I was the managing editor of LA yoga magazine, uh, for a few years and, um, and the creative director of a wonderful magazine called origin. Um, and so I, I ended up writing a piece about having radically intimate sex, six ways to have radically intimate sex. And it went viral so fast. It's at like currently um, over two and a half million views and half a million Facebook shares. And um, this was many years ago now, but um, I thought to myself, wow, you know, this is, this is really striking a nerve. Like people are really hungry for this kind of content, this kind of information. Um, so I sort of took a minute to say, are you kidding me universe? Is, am I going to be the woman that talks about sex? Um, but the answer was yes. And like you, I'm so appreciative of your sort of purpose and the podcast, um, because that's just exactly what um, what I like to do is to be able to talk about sex in a way that people can hear it. Yes. And it's so needed too. And, and, you know, hearing just radical intimacy, like, okay, this isn't just, here's a couple ways to improve in bed or to connect more with your partner. It is like, here's a wake up. There are things that you really can do that you have a lot of control over, that's a hard thing. I think when, um, folks want to improve, they know their life, uh, or their sex life isn't to the level that they would love or appreciate. And, you know, just like you said, going to the doctor, is it my hormone level? Is it, do we need therapy? Is it other things? Um, and sometimes those things can seem out of your control. Um, so in your book, what are some things that, when you were exploring to write it, that surprised you? That's a great question. Um, well, uh, by the time I had written the book, um, I, um, I had been coaching this model of intimacy. I sort of developed organically in working with couples and individuals who um, would sort of re repeatedly come to me really having specific symptoms that they wanted to deal with, but then also really just drilling down to discover that the vast majority of people, what they're really craving is more connection, more intimacy, more vulnerability in, in themselves and their partners, um, a deeper bond. Um, and so 
that's really where intimacy sort of comes up for me. It's not just sex. Sex is one part of a of a, like a dimensional sort of experience of deep connection. So, um, yeah, I mean, in this work, some of the things that continue to surprise me is um, how little people realize that it takes um, ongoing, I don't love to say the word work, um, because work has a negative connotation, but um, how much we really can control the things that feel out of control, like you say, mm -hmm. and, and how much we can practice and put into um, existence, like, habits and practices that keep us connected, especially to ourselves so that we can then connect with others really powerfully. Wow. That's amazing. So we have control, yeah. <laughs> um, but before we even decide, what do I need to control? There usually are some symptoms. Um, and you said, yes, sexuality, your sex life is typically a symptom that most folks We'll say, okay, I want a change. Um, what are some other symptoms that come up that maybe can use some of these adjustments? Yeah, um, another great question. Well, so I um, I see a lot of people who have sort of lost their identity. Mm -hmm. They they don't recognize themselves anymore. You know, when we start out and we're in our twenties and we're super young and we're just getting started and maybe we're even, you know, paired up and, and in a relationship and maybe we're just getting married. Um, we, we feel really connected, right? We share values. We've just chosen this person to spend our lives with, but then, you know, a few years down the road, or, you know, in, in my case, a few decades down the road, um, you know, we've, we've now piled on the responsibilities and we have jobs and we have, maybe we have kids and um, volunteer work or community work or, um, you know, the lives of our children and managing that and households and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, we deprioritize the amount of time that we spend just being with ourselves and also nurturing our primary partnership in our spouse. Um, so, you know, I mean, there never is a great time to have a difficult conversation. There's never a great time to open a can of worms, you know? Um, and so we just sort of keep shoving aside our relationship issues. And on top of that, we are conditioned to believe that things like sex and intimacy take care of themselves, that it's, we shouldn't talk about it. We shouldn't deal with it. It's just something that happens. Um, so we end up feeling depressed, distracted, unfulfilled, lonely, um, like we don't, like we're uncomfortable in our skin, like we don't know who we are anymore. Those are sort of big, vague symptoms or, or sort of conditions that I see often, but that, that turns into like depression, lack of inspiration, um, you know, resentment of our partner or even our kids, you know, when you're really honest about it, 
um, feeling like you're pulled in a million different directions, feeling like it's never your time. Um, and, and, you know, along with that, a lack of interest in sex, a, a loss of libido, sex drive, and, um, and a good number of people in this culture, in the United States anyway, come through my door with a lot of body shame, um, either genital specific body shame or just, you know, can't really face their aging bodies. Mm. Yes. I actually am wearing a shirt. This is a podcast shirt. Uh, I love it. Sexy is a mindset, not a body shape. Yes. Yes. I, I love it. It's a topic that comes up so often. And I think, you know, just being uncomfortable in your skin, not recognizing yourself, um, maybe not even recognizing that your needs aren't being met. That's such a big one too. And it was like, oh, okay, yeah. now what do I do? And how do I even recognize them? Um, so I'm hearing just giving time, slowing down a little bit, um, which is a huge ask in our day and age when we have many computers that connect us to the entire world um, in our pocket and in our hand at all times. Yeah. Um, tell me what, what things that you were exploring with this digital age and, and our cell phones and other things and how that really can drive a wedge in intimacy. Yeah. One comment that I get often from people who have, um, read the book is the statistic that I cite Harris interactive, um, ran a poll and came up with the statistic that 20% of people in their, from their mid third mid twenties to their mid thirties admit to checking their phones during sex. Mm. So there's, I mean, here's what I have to say about technology. Um, technology is amazing and has created a ton of opportunity for us to be intimate with people, um, in a, in a way and in avenues that we didn't have before. Um, and it can also be an incredible distraction. And I, I, I talk about, I define um, the trifecta of anti-intimacy and distraction is one of them. And so, you know, our, our mobile devices are top of the list for that. So, you know, like anything else, it requires um, a balance and intention. And, um, and I find that um, slowing down is fabulous, so necessary. It's kind of like the basics of how do I stop feeling so overwhelmed all the time. Um, and uh, I, I also find that it's hard to do when we just sort of make a vague commitment. Um, when we start to get really specific and actually calendar people, look, we, we have little league games calendared. We have, um, you know, work, we go to work at certain hours. Um, we have certain days of the week that are like laundry night, you know, like we, we know that if we're going to get things done, we have to put it on the calendar. So spending time alone, intimately with yourself or with a partner um, is worthy of putting on the calendar. You know, mm -hmm. you're creating um, space for spontaneity to happen. You're creating intentional space, defining it and prioritizing it, um, you know, for even being still, you know, no TV, 
no device, um, take a bath, take a really mindful bath, um, or go for a walk, or even sit on a meditation cushion and listen to the sound of your own breath. Mm, such great advice in those pieces. And so much easier said than done. And that's, you know, when you're trying to create habits, a coach is a great person to help. <laughs> Shameless <laughs> plug right there. Um, but getting into that headspace of being intentional with your time, slowing down, um, you know, any success stories from others that you heard that finally made that connection. Cause I will be very honest and transparent. I just had a um, uncomfortable, but great growth conversation with my spouse last night. So this is still really, really fresh actually about how we're using our time and what we need and that we do want more intimacy. We both wanted it. Um, but we're maybe acting out in different ways too. So it came out in different types of arguments. And so it was, um, you know, finally being able to say things and slow down, we wouldn't have had this conversation if the TV was on, we wouldn't have had this conversation if we were staying busy and just off to the next, off to the next. Um, and part of that conversation, we both admitted, we need to have this conversation more often and more frequently. And it's not just a, you know, when you were saying people expect intimacy to be like this natural thing that just happens. Um, but if you're not intentional and you don't have that frequency of, um, you know, not just once every few months <laughs> when it's escalated and now you're angry and upset, really hurt. It's more of, Hey, just checking in. How are things last? We talked, this was what was coming up. Is that still coming up for you? Or maybe in our exploration has something new come to the surface. And it's actually a deeper thing that you didn't recognize before. Um, that was something I did bring up because, you know, one of the things we talked about was we feel like we have the same conversations over and over, but you have the conversation and then it's done or the argument or anything or the vent and it's done and it never gets brought back up um, to check in. And so I was like, I think that was a big piece we're maybe missing on that. <laughs> I love that. I really love that. And it, it speaks to what I do with couples often, and that is have a relationship check-in. Mm. like have a weekly relationship check-in a time where, you know, Sunday mornings from, you know, 11 to 12 or in the evening, if you have kids, you know, after the kids go to bed, you know, have sit down together and have a relationship check-in. And even if the extent of it is okay, you know, for you, from your perspective, what do you see is going well with us? Mm. You know, what are the things that are going really well? What are we doing like beautifully together? Um, and what are the things that aren't going as well? What would you like to feel more of? Um, what would you like to see? And then really sort of, you know, sometimes that can be specific things like, you know, I would love if you did X, Y, and Z, and that would make me feel you know, A, B, and C. So like, there's a, a kind of, the key to all of that is, is that a lot of couples I see, they hear their partner say something and immediately they feel like they're being blamed and they get defensive. Yeah. yeah. And that's really, um, 
there's nothing to say about that. No magic wand to wave, except to say like together you want to articulate and create a relational climate that is collaborative, where there isn't blame. We're not blaming anybody. We're just being honest about our feelings. And, um, and, and, you know, when your partner is sharing, just listen, just listen and take it in and get curious. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really sort of the spirit in which, you know, to approach these check-ins. Yeah. Especially when they are uncomfortable and maybe at the beginning, it can be very uncomfortable when you're starting to pull things. It's like, you've never told me and how long have we been together? And, you know, it's maybe some guilt or shame in there too. And so of course you want to defend yourself a little bit. So it is very hard to just listen non-judgmentally and just kind of be in that space with that person. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned, um, the trifecta of anti-intimacy. Yeah. So, um, so in looking at what keeps people from being intimate, um, and, and, you know, these things happen, we practice the trifecta of anti-intimacy, um, with ourselves first primarily, and then with our partners. So, um, or anybody else, you know, that we have an ongoing close relationship with, right? Kids, families, siblings, friends, parents. Um, so the first one is denial, right? We, and this, you know, I talked about like being so busy that there's never a good time to like bring up uh, an issue or something that you are uncomfortable with in the relationship, something that's really bothering you. Um, so we just sort of suck it up and keep going, you know, and, and deny that there's even a, a, you know, a problem. And, and I give examples of this in the book, but, you know, one that is classic is, um, you know, my, my partner never wants to have sex with me. Um, they never, they never want to have sex with me and they, and they, they've lost their sex drive. Um, they no longer have a sex drive apparently. And, you know, when I probe it's so often that this was an ongoing dynamic from the beginning Mm -hmm. that, that there was a desired discrepancy or a, um, like a, a different style or of, you know, of, of sex and sexual expression or something that really was rooted in the early days. Um, and, and the sort of denial that that ever existed. So now it becomes, there's also denial that you're contributing to that. There's denial that, you know, there's just sort of like, there isn't a problem. Wow. There there isn't a problem or there wasn't a problem. And, and as we work together and, you know, the, the layers get peeled back, the admission of some issues, some troubling issues arise. So denial is, um, pervasive (laughs) sounds like yeah it it is i mean we all listen we all do it we all do it to some extent you know we're 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 just sucking it up and muddling through and we're you know and and a lot of times we don't trust ourselves you know i maybe i want too much or maybe i have my expectations are too high or you know it's there's a lot of sort of questioning 
whether or not we're the problem, mm -hmm. you know? So it's understandable. And it's um, one of the things that if you are willing to slow down enough and give yourself space enough, you can start to really allow some of those things that we've been suppressing to, to, to rise and to be looked at. Um, so that's denial. That's one of them. Deflection is another one. And I tell a, a story about deflection in the book where we um, get upset about something that's not really what we're upset about. My <laughs> husband, my husband, who also coaches, says, like, he, it, it's it's never about the dishes. No, it's it's never really about the dishes. Right. So um, there's a great example of deflection in the book where I have a client whose husband has left her for a woman that he works with. And she is angrier at the woman that he is now that he's left her for mm. than she is at him. Um, and so she, you know, we sort of dig and she's and, and she has the story in her head that that her husband has been like brainwashed by this woman and that, you know, she has somehow convinced him to go off with her. And when I start to probe, uh, it turns out, like I said, you know, do you think that's really true? Do you think he's been brainwashed or is there a chance that he has genuine feelings for this woman? And the floodgates open and she realizes and she's sobbing and, um, and, and really what that sort of shows us is that the real hurt, the real devastation is that he's chosen someone else mm -hmm. and he really does have real feelings or the idea that he might have real feelings is just devastating to her. So it was a lot easier to deflect her anger from a pain and grief, but then also leaving her husband sort of blame free and blaming this woman um, who she doesn't even really know she's familiar, but um, you know, there's that sort of like deflecting our feelings around from something that isn't really causing the pain. Mm -hmm. And then distraction is the third it's denial, deflection, distraction and distraction. We are all very familiar. Everybody, every one of us has a, our own version of, you know, a gallon of ice cream and a Netflix series. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, you know, part of the conversation last night for me was, um, how I spend my time, um, because yes, it does distract from my intimate relationship with my spouse and, you know, just conversations with him and really just becoming aware and taking that moment to think about things and not get defensive when they were coming up and, or at least trying not to, I didn't, I'm not perfect in this at all. Um, but realizing where, um, unintentionally and not even consciously, I go for projects and things that give back a lot of positive feedback and um, feel very worthy of my energy. And, and so it was just this huge aha moment last night for me. And it was like, I, of course, I want to do more of this or more of that because I'm getting a lot of good things back. And, you know, it's, it's hard to put more work and I'm going to say the word work uh, or more energy into our relationship. 
um, because I wasn't feeling that I was getting that back. Um, and so for us to just kind of talk about that and uncover that and, you know, the unmet needs that were there and it was just this really great thing, but I was like, I had used distraction as a very huge crutch. Um, I was like, Oh, I'm too busy. I have so many things to do, um, being pulled in 10 different directions. And so it was, it was just a big thing for me. And so I am very aware of how that can <laughs> pull you away from intimacy and, and create that opportunity to shift. And that's yeah. it. I, I'm not upset at that realization. Um, I'm not sad or feel guilty. I'm really proud that we got there in our relationship. Um, and so for me, um, I have felt plenty of shame being in Utah, growing up Mormon, um, having this, um, picture painted for me of what connection and intimacy should be. And then what I was really experiencing as the human experience, um, was two very, very different pictures. And it was really, really difficult. And in between there was just a whole bunch of shame and, um, still really, really working on that for myself. But that was another reason the podcast was bored is trying to, um, I don't want to say avoid shame, uh, but, um, validate some of that pain. And so you bring up shame as part of this model of radical intimacy. And so how does that play into it? Yeah, I think intimacy um, is sort of the antidote to shame, right? So I love Brene Brown. She is the queen of vulnerability and, um, and shame and um, worthiness. And so she defines shame as the belief that we are so bad or broken that we are unworthy of love and belonging. So, um, so the thing about intimacy is that when we are truly intimate with each other, with ourselves, with each other, we are, our worthiness is mirrored back to us, right? Like we actually, um, learn that we are not alone that we're not bad or broken, that all of us, when we're intimate with all of us, like the people you are, you, you know, your podcast is um, an act of intimacy because you're, you're revealing yourself in your own truth. And so um, we, we start to recognize ourselves in others, then there mm -hmm. can be no shame because we're all in this together. And we're all struggling with feelings of, um, you know, worthiness or like, you know, in the case of um, religious upbringings um, and certainly I deal with people that are growing up in a purity culture. And mm -hmm. so, you know, when they find out when they when they not just find out cognitively, but but have an emotional connection and witness other people that are dealing with that same dilemma, that same conflictedness, then they realize that there's no reason to be ashamed because I, I am worthy of love and belonging because we're all worthy of love and belonging. Mm. There's also always something that we can connect on. So finding that connection, um, some people we have to maybe dig more than others <laughs> yeah. and really work on that. 
but there is a connection point for everyone mm-hmm. and everything. And so I think it's really wonderful that that's baked into that model and you bring light to that. Um, you know, as you are writing this book, I'm curious, usually, at least in my own experience, I'm writing to a specific audience. Like I have maybe that picture of that person that I'm writing to, um, you know, who is this for? Well, um, it's an excellent question. And I'm, and I'm, I'm gonna, my answer is what I'm told should never be my answer when I, when I'm, when I'm I'm creating, you know, something, uh, whether it's a program or a book or, which is everyone, it's for everyone. Um, I think that me being, I mean, here's the deal. I am a, um, I mean, some of you can see this if you're watching um, the video, but um, if you're just listening, I am a 58 year old, white, cisgendered, mostly heterosexual woman. And Uh, I grew up in New York and I've been living in Los Angeles for 30 years um, and I have two kids. And so, you know, there's an obvious lens through which I see things. And I think that I speak in a voice that people like me um, probably will resonate with. So, you know, middle-aged women. Um, However, Um, I am well-practiced in a number of different sort of spiritual traditions and lineages, and I live in, you know, an urban area. I'm exposed to all kinds of cultures and races and orientations and gender expressions, and my client base is extremely diverse. Um, So, I really, I mean, the fact is, is that these principles are for everyone. Mm. Um, We can only meet each other to the extent that we can meet ourselves and we're all human beings. And so there's nothing in the book that is specific to a particular kind of economic standing or um, religious affiliation or anything. It's like my goal in writing this book was like, no matter who you like to have sex with, who you like to hang out with, what body parts you have or don't have, what your pronouns are, like any of it, um, you know, what the color of your skin is and, and what that color of your skin means in terms of your lived experience. Like there's actually just basic principles of self-knowledge, self-exploration, sexual expression that are universal. If you're, mm. a hu- if you're in a human body. Um, so I don't even know what got me on this big tangent. But <laughs> <laughs> Who is it for? And you said yeah. everyone. Right. And, you know, I was like, oh, what a radical idea. Right. <laughs> Just so there's, <laughs> so that's it. That's it. Like, uh, you know, a publisher will be like, are you kidding me? We can't sell a book. We can't market a book <laughs> to everybody. But the fact is, is that I get now, now that it's out, I get just as many um, messages, DMS and emails and messages of, um, appreciation from, um, men or people with penises, um, as I do women. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really, it makes me feel very good. Yeah. 
Well, and, and, um, you know, hearing that there's three levels of intimacy and you said it's for everyone. And one of those levels really is talking about how you can be intimate with the world. So we're going to really start macro and, and, and go micro on this. Okay. I'm going to reverse your model a little bit, but tell okay. us a little bit more of those levels. Yes. So, um, so I do, I define three kinds and three levels of intimacy and we sort of make them intersect like a tic-tac-toe board or a bingo card and create these nine areas of opportunity mm. um, to cultivate intimacy. And so one of the levels of intimacy is world. Um, and that means um, groups of people, your community, um, you know, community of any kind. It doesn't have to be a municipality, but like, you know, a, a church group or at the synagogue or um, or, you know, a, a group of people um, affiliated by like they're all parents, their kids all go to school together, all of that. Um, it can also mean, you know, people in need. It can mean, you know, starving children in Somalia. It can mean people in Ukraine who are fighting for their country. Um, and it can also mean big, big piece of what it means actually is nature. It's mother nature. It's the earth. It's the sky, the trees, the other critters that we, that inhabit this planet with us. Um, so, that's kind of the the world view and the opportunity there to be intimate with the world. Mm. When you're talking about different types of intimacy, what are some of those examples? Yeah, so I define really clearly define three kinds of intimacy: emotional, physical, and what I call energetic. So emotional intimacy, right? Like the um, the experience of seeing, processing, articulating, sharing, um, being with our emotions or our feelings or our moods, our sentiments, our own and, and that of another person. Um, that's emotional intimacy, um, seeing and being seen. Physical intimacy is um, the familiarity with um, your physical body and that of another, how does it work? Like, how do you, do you know where your internal organs are? Do you know where your pancreas, can you point to your pancreas? Do you know what, it, how it functions and what it does for you? Um, do you know, you know, what sensations you're feeling in your body when you see like the biggest redwood tree ever? And, and like, where does that, where are you feeling that? What are you feeling and where are you feeling it? Sex is one part of physical intimacy. Yes. <laughs> we tend to conflate that and we use intimacy as a euphemism for sex when we want to be polite, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but, but sex is one small part of, you know, the whole sort of dimensional intimacy or radical intimacy, as I call it. Um, so there's that. And, and sex, certainly physical intimacy with yourself is, you know, a, a separate and distinct thing than physical intimacy with a partner. Mm -hmm. um, and then energetic intimacy, which is harder to talk about, harder to grasp and, um, and really powerful. 
Um, it's the it's that closeness you feel with someone that goes beyond speech and touch. Right. So you will find energetic intimacy often in like a moment where you're um, sharing an experience with someone. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you you'll you'll often hear about, you know, like imagine being trapped in an elevator with someone and you and you don't know them. Well, you're having an experience together and you may not really know them that well outside of that experience. I mean, if you're caught in the elevator all night long, you might get to telling each other your life stories. But, you know, if it was a five minute experience, you actually don't know this person very well. You may or may not even know their name, mm-hmm. but you've had an intimate experience just by nature of, of being in it together. So I will often with couples, um, you know, I don't know if it's an opposites track thing. I don't really, I don't, I don't really know the cause of it so much, but very often one partner, they'll come to me actually, even like, this is the complaint is that one partner needs, isn't interested in sex unless there's more emotional intimacy. And the other one needs sex and physical intimacy to feel safe enough to open up mm-hmm. emotionally. Yes. Well, there so, you go. That's me and my spouse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's me and my spouse too. He, he needs a strong emotional connection and I actually just want to get to it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so energetic intimacy in that case, energetic intimacy is like a savior because it's neutral ground. And Mm. it's a place where we can connect outside of our individual needs, right? So we'll go on a, you know, like yesterday we went to Costco together and we, we didn't just go to Costco. We delighted in going to Costco because it was time we were, we were spending together. And I said to him, it's a Saturday afternoon and we're going to Costco on a Saturday afternoon. And he said, I don't really care if it's mobbed because I'm with you. And we're yeah. having this adventure, adventure together. Yes. Right. So taking a walk, uh, going on a road trip, um, running errands together, cooking dinner together is another great one. Like you don't have to talk about you're involved in an activity. You don't have to talk about did you pay the bills or did you ca- take care of that school thing or, you know, it's just um, sharing that endeavor together. Eye gazing sitting mm. facing each other and sustained eye contact uh meeting each other soul to soul um energetic intimacy is powerful um and i i know what you're saying when it is hard to define but as soon as you're giving me some examples i know very specifically in my own experience those times um for my husband and i you know, we go to the gym together or we haven't for a while now, um, after COVID and we've had a different separation of gyms as I'll say. Um, and, but when we do projects and like household projects together, um, we vibe so well, there is rarely, you know, when some, someone talks about like you painted your whole house together. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's one of our greatest connections. And they're like, oh, we would have divorced over that if if we did it together, but it's just really interesting. You know, it's, you almost don't even need to communicate. You really just are in and out of this flow of, um, being 
yeah. together. Um, yeah. It's really, really neat. That's so wonderful. As you're explaining that, I was like, yes, I know very specific examples for myself of what that looks like and what that feels like yeah. for us, which yeah. is very different between anyone else, right? You know, what works for us when yes. we say painting and house projects, someone's like, no. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's true. Um, I do give, the, the book is divided into um, five sections, like an introduction and then and a, um, a couple chapters at the end um, that are dedicated to sort of sustaining ideas and guidance for sustaining mm. intimacy. Now that you've sort of moved through the book, um, the, the, the middle three sections are emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, and energetic intimacy. And at the end of those three parts, I have a whole set of exercises and practices that, um, to try, you know, with yourself, all three levels, you know, yourself, other, and the world. So um, it's fun. There are a lot of things to do that are easier than you'd think. Yes. And I mean, the biggest piece I think is that intention. I am not just using this as a checkbox to get it done. And now we don't magically have intimacy. What the heck, you know, it's not a formula. Yeah. Um, which I really appreciate. Um, it's not that one size fits all. I, I really struggle with that. We're so individual. And then when you had another, another individual, it's not just double individuality. It is, you know, <laughs> just yeah. so much that you're trying to find that overlap. Um, and I love that, that you were also seeing that energetic level or excuse me, kind of intimacy is that middle ground. I think that is a huge piece for a lot of folks who are missing that, you know, they're finally maybe going to see a therapist or, or reading some self-help, you know, books and, and working on themselves, recognizing I have an unmet need, communicating, I have an unmet need and requesting to, for that unmet need to be, to be met. That's huge, huge strides, right? Yes. But if this person's has very different needs and this person and then you're just going back and forth. My needs more important. Your needs more important, you know, and, and, or I'm giving everything I have to you, to your needs. And now I'm floundering and the, probably some of that denial deflection in there as well. Um, but that common ground, that mid ground, that neutrality is so important when just to get something moving forward. Yeah, yeah that's right. And to, to be in it and be aware of what connection feels like. Mm. Um, I mean, it's really, um, it, it, I, I find that a lot of people are craving connection. They're craving that feeling. They want to be seen. They want to see their partner. You know, they're just, they're, they're hungry for that. Um, and a lot of times if you were to slow down, and be mindful and really pay attention, you can notice moments of connection throughout the day, you know, that you, mm. that you didn't really label as connection. Yes. Right. So you start appreciating that and then being intentional of trying to get more of that. Um, I think those are just wonderful ways to start conversations, wonderful ways for someone to really um, put energy and you don't have to have a partner to still grow from this book to take a lot. That's why I love that. You know, you talk about the, you connecting with you as one of those levels. Um, so important, I think. Um, and that you're not forgetting that piece 
too. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is the most, if we're going to share ourselves with somebody, no matter who it is, we, we better know what it is that we're sharing. Mm. Right. You don't want to come up with a bun, a bundle of, you know, <laughs> the, the need for someone to complete you, you know, mm-hmm. that, that Jerry Maguire, Renee, Zellweger says you complete me (laughs) like no 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 that's not how it goes you know um a partner true partnership and a healthy partnership is one in which two individuals are whole and complete and they're together creating a third entity called a relationship right they're not two halves of a whole Mm-hmm. There are two holes and, and there's another, there's another entity that, that they, that they nourish. So. Yes. Um, in your work with couples and, and even, you know, exploring topics in this book and I'm sure plenty of research that's out there, what are some maybe, um, slippery slopes folks can start going down, um, that can inhibit moving forward to radical intimacy? Yeah, I think that there's an idea that um, um, we have a sort of idea that things don't take work. We've talked about that, you know, so and and practice, right? And so there is that idea that we don't really have to do anything. And, and my answer to that is like, how's that working for you? You know, (laughs) um, there's also an idea that novelty is better. So if we are, um, you know, we get bored if things are the same. And, and so the answer to that, I think is to create novelty within the partnership. There's Mm -hmm. an infinite amount. And, and some of that means, listen, some of that means, uh, loosening the grip on your own personal identity. I'm not a person who does that. I don't, I don't really, you know, I don't really like that. I would never do that. Doing that I think is wrong. If I do this, it means this. If I, you know, if you want me to do something, then that this means, you know, that. And, um, I think that there's, there's a lot of novelty and, excitement to be had and sustained in a relationship when we get curious, just get curious about ourselves as well. Um, You know, I think in the negotiation of, of taking care of each other, it, it becomes often like a zero sum game, you know, Mm. and I think, you know, I think that I think that if we look at our partner and create, you know, I used this term earlier in the podcast, but create a relational climate that is collaborative, that is generous, um, I think that it becomes easier to um, experiment and play. Absolutely. Beautifully said. Um, truly, I could talk to you all day long on this <laughs> fascinating topic. And, and, and like I said, very much relatable. Um, and it's not, you know, 
So when you do say it's for everyone at any stage in any relationship, you can feel like you have a super, super healthy relationship. Um, this is still a wonderful way to connect back to yourself and others. hundred percent. So- I mean, there are, there are exercises in there. If you've got the closest, most well-developed, um, safest, loveliest, exciting relationship, there are exercises in the book that are super um, delicious for anybody at any stage over and over, to be honest with you. So, yeah, it's wonderful. Well, where can our listeners um, find more out about the book and you as well? The um, my website, zoecores.com is kind of the hub of of all things Zoe. Um, you, I have a link to the book there. You can also buy it um, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, if you support independent bookshops, um, you can go to bookshop.org or anywhere you buy books. Um, I have a podcast called the Radical Intimacy Podcast um, with a, a, a season one is is live with a bunch of really fabulous guests. Um, Season two, we're just starting to record and my husband and I are doing it together. Um, Season two, talking about our marriage and our relationship and our story, and then bringing in a lot of sort of foundational principles Um, and, you know, programs and information, all kinds of stuff at zoecorus.com. Wonderful. I am so excited to check out more and really appreciate you coming on and spending time with us. Um, if anyone wants to hear more about what's going on with the podcast, feel free to visit our website at saltysexcast.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram. We're still kind of there. It's been hard because again, sexual content, they like to edit a lot of it, but we're there. (laughs) And, um, I want to just appreciate all of our patrons who keep the podcast ad free And if you are interested in becoming a patron yourself, you can go to patreon.com forward slash slash salty sex cast, which you have to type in the whole address and just for a little as $5 a month. And we throw in some extras in there as well. So we won't waste your time on there. Anyway, again, Zoe, thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Salty Sex Cast. Ready for round two? Find us on Facebook.